Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm Clarence Boone, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 18th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Good evening, I'm Liz Mitchell. The mission of Resilience Productions is to educate, enlighten, and engage the public regarding the many unknown, uncelebrated contributions of African-Americans in Indiana and ultimately to our country's history. We research, write, produce live performances inspired by actual historical events. These productions cultivate awareness and entertainment by recognizing bold and deserving African-American men and women, we ensure their legacy will not be forgotten. This award-winning Bloomington-based theatrical production company premiered their latest stagecraft last night at the First Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Terre Haute. Their presentation recognized the legacy of artist, educator, and activist John L. Laska. A memorial fund has been established in his honor to support a yearly event that explores the intersection between the power of art and social issues. Here to discuss their premiere, which actually took place on Friday the 19th and then again on saturday the 20th i just want to make that correction but here to discuss this premiere and the and the genesis of resilience productions our team members gladys devane daniel bruce and my co-anchor liz mitchell ladies welcome to bring it on thank you so once again you knock it out the park i tell you uh, I see Academy Award in your future. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just so proud of, of all three of you. And the wonderful thing that I know about resilience is not only just as your mission says that you talk about the unsung heroes and the celebrations uh, and the contributions of African-Americans to Indiana and around the country and around the world, but you also engage the community to become thespians with you. And you draw on their talent, you develop their talent, talent. And a lot of them had these latent skills that they never knew they had until you draw it out of them. So we want to just thank you for that. You involve the community in many different levels. I just want to start off by saying, um, first of all, uh, who was John Lasko and how did the premiere go? So uh, from all three of you, let's listen to a little bit of history about John Lasko. Gladys? John Lasko was an artist. Uh, he was an artist and uh, a professor on the faculty at Indiana State, uh, State uh, University in Terre Haute. Uh, he was the son of an immigrant family uh, born in New York. They were extremely poor. In fact, uh, so poor that uh, he was barred from use of the public library because his parents were not taxpayers. Uh, so uh, he grew up there in, in uh, New York. Uh, he spent some time in service. Uh, he 
uh, active service he earned uh, with the GI Bill, um, his degree, um, and taught at a couple of different places. I won't, you know, go into the naming the places, but he wound up in Terre Haute. And so he spent the rest of his professional career in Terre Haute uh, as an artist. And his art, uh, his his work spanned a very broad uh, basis. And our artist, uh, Danielle, can give you much more information on the type of art he produced, the sculptures, who he studied under, and how that affected his art. But that, in a nutshell, is who John Laska was. Danielle? Yes, well, I will say just to... to add on to what Gladys was saying is, yes, John Laska was a remarkable talent, first of all, at a young age and then through his whole life. And what we discovered in putting this together was that he is, to have somebody like this talent in your backyard, he, I will say unequivocally, he's the the best painter to come out of Terre Haute, hands down. I mean, I think his work in that area, in this area of Indiana particularly, I mean, is unrivaled. He was he was a master uh, portrait painter and um, he was a sculptor as well. He he went from medium to medium because he was an educator. So he could do a lot of things. And um, and he worked at the lab school at first and then he worked at Indiana State. And what we thought was so beautiful, actually, was all of his there's so many of his students that attended this presentation this production and they were so vocal about how incredible he was as a as an educator and it was really heartwarming I mean it was also really nice to get that affirmation from them who knew him so well you know and that was really very cool so it was it was it was really interesting and I will say one thing if you haven't had the chance to do it the best thing he I think he did was the Debs murals at the Eugene V Debs house it is considered like the Sistine ceiling of the Midwest it is so extraordinary if you get a chance to if you're ever in Terre Haute take an hour go in there have allison give you the tour it's so worth it it's so worth it it's just a beautiful experience it's really inspiring and that takes us then to liz mitchell well all i can say is um john laska can do and he could teach (laughs) (laughs) and no doubt about that no doubt about that i was impressed about what a humbled man he was kind and caring One of his students had said she'd come into class. Her dad was sick uh, on the verge of dying and she hadn't said a word, but she walked into the classroom and he noticed that she was off, that something wasn't right. And in a kind, caring voice, uh, not being nosy, uh, really interested in her uh, mental health. How are you? Yeah. And how many teachers do that, especially if you got a classroom full of students and you give that kind of attention because you've, you've noticed all of your students and you know that one of them was having an off day. It was just, uh, I wish that I had the opportunity to meet John Laska. Yeah, he was a very neat man. When did he um, transition? 2009. 2009. Right, and- Mm-hmm. And I saw that they uh, named um, a building after him on the ISU campus, or was that correct? Or they, he has been honored in a lot of different ways. And, yes, yes. and I, I think it's remarkable that, uh, I guess, a local um, pillar in the community can impact so many different lives. And that's the hallmark of a true teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, that that's you know, awesome. You know, what's interesting, Clarence, is just as to 
what you're saying, it's actually due to another professor at ISU that he is being commemorated because okay. it was John uh, James Conyers, who was a sociology professor, but they were dear friends, dear, dear friends for um, 47 years. 47 yeah. years. Yes, 47 years. And what an incredible relationship, very private with their relationship, but great friends. And mm-hmm. he, there was two different um, endowments that he'd set up for John Laska. And so he was really quite a community leader i think you know and so people really to commemorate him they have no qualms they just everybody gets in line you know and it's it's a really it was a very neat experience to see somebody impact people that much uh, i wish we're, we're talking about a friendship that mm-hmm. started back when there was so much racism in Terhold, a racial mm-hmm. divide mm-hmm. whites and blacks live separately mm-hmm. here comes the first black professor at for indiana state couldn't get a house to live in the house mm-hmm. that he wanted and Laska, this white man says, you come live with me and my family until you can find suitable housing because Conyers was black from the mm-hmm. South mm-hmm. and allows him and his family to come and live for a while. So this friendship developed then and uh, and remained for 47 years. Um, <laughs> it was funny that uh, Alaska's granddaughter said uh, the, the kids called them the odd couple. Yeah. <laughs> okay. A, a sincere friendship, and the son told me that when Laska died first, and that threw his dad Conyers into a deep depression. He'd lost yeah. his best friend that he talked to every day, yeah. and went fishing with quite often. And uh, like Gladys brought out when she was writing this, how do you? Uh, I'll let you tell that part, Gladys. I don't want to tell your story. How 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 you wrote this? Oh, yes. I, I, I was telling them that um, I framed the presentation. I, I was interested in what would cause two men who were so different. There is Conyers, uh, who came from a well-educated family, the Black man, from a well-educated family. His both Both parents had college degrees. His mother was a teacher. He grew up in Sumter, South Carolina. Uh, and, and Lasker, uh, dirt poor, uh, immigrant parents who didn't speak English. Zero opportunity, really. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and the two meet and form this kind of relationship and become like inseparable. Um, and this relationship lasts for 47 years. So I was interested in what was it that drew these two men who were so very different together and caused them to develop that kind of relationship? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm really in awe, especially it seems as if this relationship took place in the 60s. That's correct. And we talk about just the uh, the racial strife. Uh, Again, it rears its ugly head and no doubt elements of Jim Crow and on and on and on. And Tara Holt was not immune. Um, That's correct. But to forge a friendship against social norms. Mm -hmm. And I could even see their friendship maybe hindering his forward progression, um, Mr. Lasko. And what ways did the family share with you that they counteracted overt racism directed at them? The interesting thing about talking to their parents, I mean, 
talking to the families, the the the, the families members would would say over and over and over, oh, they were very good friends. They were, mm-hmm. but both of them were so very private. They didn't talk much about those kinds of things. They didn't talk about um, the kind of um, the kind of racial strife. Um, they didn't talk about why uh, Lasker invited this black man and his family to live with him until he could until he could find proper housing. And so, what we had to do is look at the histories, look at the Things that had happened in their lives and some very pronounced things happened in Alaska's life Mm -hmm. that I think shaped his behavior Mm -hmm. and made him acutely aware of humanity and what his role was in in bringing about uh, fairness and and equality. And I think it really heightened his sensitivity, some of the things that he was exposed to. For example, when he was in service, um, he told the story of him, uh, his commanding officer, he's sitting at the table in the mess hall with uh, some uh, African-American soldiers, and his commanding officer ordered him to move. And he said, I'm fine. And the commanded officer said to him, you either move or you will be court-martialed. Well, you know, he saw all of those kinds of things. And I would imagine growing up as an immigrant, he also was stigmatized. And I Mm. think he had a sense of what it felt like to be othered. And this, this created in him... Uh, a heightened sense of his responsibility to humankind. What what are his ethnic roots? What po- were his ethnic roots? Polish. Polish. Oh, mm-hmm. so we're talking World War II. We're talking yeah. perhaps concentration camps. We're talking yeah, yeah. all types. Their, their whole his parents' world turned upside down. Hence their their move to America, no doubt. So yeah, in fact, he was one of the liberators. A concentration camp, your uh, Adora Metalball uh, concentration camp in Germany. And he talked about what he saw there. Hmm. And I think that had a that had a lasting impact on him. Mm-hmm. How could it not? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and we're going to supported each other too, you know, I think. Weren't both of them in the NAACP? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you had that going on, too. And it, uh, they were just two remarkable men, both of them. And then Conyers left an endowment so people would not forget his friend, Laska. That is tremendous. And and while we have sort of a pause in this, I do want to do a, an ID for yeah. those who just uh, tuned in to bring it on. We're having a very informative yet riveting conversation with members of Resilience Productions. This is an award winning uh, theatrical production, Bloomington based. And these members are Gladys Devane. Well, let me say Dr. Gladys Devane. Gladys Devane is fine. <laughs> Daniel Bruce. Let me say Dr. Daniel Bruce. No. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Vice President, Liz, I mean, uh, Liz Mitchell. <laughs> uh, just Liz. Just Liz. Okay. They're joining us to discuss uh, their recent premiere um, uh, presentations of 
Laska's legacy, his life, his art, and just the impact, the riveting impact he had on society. I want to go back to you, um, uh, Gladys, to talk about, okay, so you're beginning to craft his story in writing based on input from family, research you've done. And I have to say, you all do extensive research. Uh, this is not make-believe. You go to the library, you talk to neighbors, you talk to family, you go to other sites and sources that we could do a whole show on. But what you present to the public is one of the most uh, realistic representations of, of humanity. And for that, we applaud what you do. Um, but when you, when you sit down to craft this man's life and legacy, uh, as you're writing, do you picture individuals that could portray these various roles? And Daniel, as director, I know you may say, aha, so-and-so could do this, or this, that, and the other. But what characteristics do you want to most present to the public? And all three of you, if you could respond to that. And I'll start with Gladys, and then we'll just go around. Well, usually when I start, I will, I will submit a, 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 a rough draft of the script. And then I get feedback, especially, you know, from Danielle saying, given the venue, you know, given what we have to work with, we need to rethink this. And so then we collaborate. We, for example, the way I had originally framed this last production, and Danielle said, the way we were starting it off, it's going to be a little bit more difficult uh, it's going to be impossible for me to present his art in the way that I want to present his art. So let's rearrange some things. So we get that kind of collaboration and changing the script based on the venue, based on people that she might have in mind that can play certain roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's really, uh, it's really a team effort. And also, for for this particular one, I had written into the script some um, a a storyline. And when I started to check it out, uh, I could not find, um, how do I want to say it, uh, Danielle? Any any verification, any actual verification on it. Yes. And, and, And so I said, Danielle, okay, what do we do about this? I do not want to include this unless I can verify that this is this actually happened this is the truth and we called the library I called the library in Sumter South Carolina and um, we just could not find an accurate account of this and so we took it out of the script I see I see and and speaking of um, uh, Danielle some of the artistic liberties that you may take um, and, and there's this careful balance not to, uh, present someone that is, that is not true to form, if you will, but you do want to shape and mold it for relevancy and for impact. How do you do that? Well, I think it's this, I think we have a responsibility when we work with historical events or people that we have, um, a responsibility to a certain degree of accuracy in, in the things we can control, the things we can create, like the aesthetic, their visuals. We want to get them as close as we can to what we know the person to look like, let's say, because that is 
that's a huge step in the right direction of creating this, you know, of, of theater. And um, but the where we can stray is when we don't have that information any longer, because at the end of the day, this is still a work of fiction. Now, the Alaska piece was not. It was very biographical, but um, but most of our work will be inspired by. And then it kind of takes, a, a you know its own road and then it goes and, and it reimagines history if you will and um and I think there is a fine balance though to strike because you want to make it believable but at the same time um you still want it to be a little bit outside the box you know right, what I mean right, so right. so you I think you want the concepts outside the box but then you want the imagery and um and certainly the portrayal to be as close to what we know that person to have been like and that to, to get, get some authenticity out of it, you know, right, and that makes right. it much more, I think, believable and accessible, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and Liz, um, you're one of the uh, highest sought after thespians in Southern Indiana. Yeah, and, yeah, that's uh, true. Your ability to, to trans, <laughs> your ability to transport us time and place um, to whatever you're presenting is awesome. I, I my family, we sat and, and watched all of you in action and. I was just in awe. Uh, I mean, you, you, that character was yours. You made it you, but yet that character did not lose their authenticity, but yet you just, I'm not saying you channel because you know that, no, you were not channeling. <laughs> um, you were not channeling these people, but you, you, you really hit it out of the park. So as you prepare for these roles, what exercises do you go through? Well, first of all, I listened to the direction of Danielle. That's always that's, wise, yeah. That's 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 the first thing, and yeah. so she guides us each one of us, and and says pretty much how she thinks that character ought to be portrayed. Mm-hmm. And then you think about it, you come home, you rehearse it, um, contemplate it, and then you come back. I know people think this is easy; it looks easy, but Daniel, we're all three perfectionists. We want it done right. We're Resilience Productions. So when we come to the stage, we give it our all 100%. And prior to coming to the stage, we have rehearsals, rehearsals, practice, um, you know, just continuously to make sure that our product that we're putting out there is the best that we can do. And we feel good about it afterwards. So first of all, to me, when it comes to the stage and going on a stage, I got to listen to Danielle's directions. And then I come home and do my best to do what she says when we come back. And if I need to make any corrections or changes, I am willing to do that because she's out front watching. She could see what we can't see. Mm -hmm. So therefore it behooves us to pay attention and not question what her direction. And we don't. Mm -hmm. I I have a new title for all three of you. I'm going to start calling you the sisters of resilience. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. And uh and because and I take it that you all came together many moons ago. What drew you all together? What what was the genesis of resilience? I'll start that and maybe Gladys can pick up on it. Um the bicentennial was coming. This was uh we heard about it in 2015. Mm-hmm. And Gladys and I were together and she says, Liz, you know, a lot of stories. You've done a lot of traveling around, collected. And I do. I have plastic tubs full of stories. And she said, I love to write. Why don't we pull our ourselves together 
and do something for Indiana's Bicentennial. Hmm. I said, okay. She went home and wrote a story. I wrote a story. We come back and they were almost the exact stories, how it was oh, starting. Yeah. <laughs> the exact same thing. So then um, Gladys knew Danielle. Then I met Danielle. And from that, we just have developed a, a deep relationship. One mm-hmm. of the highest compliments that was paid to me, Danielle and Gladys weren't there, but I was told that um, they could see the love and affection and respect between the three of us. And that's true that we, when they see us together, that's what we portray. And through the years, over eight years, uh, Resilience Productions has thrived and you've been true to your mission. And I go back to that again. It's a lot of organizations that start out, they, they all of a sudden they're all over the place, but you stay true to that. Unsung heroes, uh, people that we don't read about from, from individuals who won their freedoms in the court to individuals who, my gosh, who centuries ago fought the system and prevailed or maybe didn't. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, you sometimes don't pull punches. I mean, there are some productions in the past that you've brought on that make the audience not only think, but uh, if, if possible, it takes us back to a place that we really don't want to visit, but we have to. Talk about some of those productions. Um, either Gladys or Danielle. <laughs> I'll, I'll go ahead and talk about it. Um, I think, well, the first, doing the first show was in 2016 for Indiana's Bicentennial. Um, and that was the untold story. That was the original. And there was so many incredible stories that not all of them made the cut, you know, because we had to have continuity for the show. And it was, yeah. it was tragic to have to get rid of things, but it made a tighter and better, more cohesive show at the end of the day. But it was also what could be staged effectively and what couldn't be staged effectively. And I think, um, and I think that the choices that were made and everybody at first, you know, you, you get attached to certain pieces and you want to see that on stage. And then you realize maybe this isn't the best thing for the stage, but we've hopefully figured out ways. Certainly when we came back to stories of Monroe and did it for Monroe County's bicentennial, there was an opportunity to tell some of those stories there. And it was, um, and I think, you know, ultimately we'll, we'll produce another play if there's more stories to tell. That's the nice part about it. There's nothing stopping. There was nothing stopping us the first time. So there certainly isn't anything now, you know, I mean, and that's, that's kind of the, the interesting thing. If there's a story that's really needs to be told, we figure out a way to tell it. And, and I think that that's, we're all on board for that, you know, uh, Gla- uh, Dr. Gladys, I'm sorry. I, I want to <laughs> say Dr. Devane, Dr. Gladys Devane, who I've known for quite some time. Um, you bring, a sort, a sort of sassiness to all your roles and um you're well you're well oh well let me see you're well you're well placed in these roles to do just that and i think you bring an element of you in every role that you play and i see danielle nodding her head and smiling um do you draw from your history and the history a that lot, you were told I draw, yeah. yeah i yes and there are some, you know, roles that I have played that I have, and I have had, I have said to Danielle, I don't want to be Gladys on the stage. You have to help me bring the character that I am, I am portraying. I don't want them to see Gladys acting like Francis 
or Gladys acting like Elizabeth. Uh, and yeah, I have to work on that. Um, that is part of understanding the nature of the character that you are portraying mm -hmm. and presenting that character in a true light. Mm -hmm. um, I, I see, I, 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 yeah, I see, I see, yes. <laughs> I have to say, you can't be too hard on yourself because I think some of the best actors, I think we're always using our own frame of reference and our history and our, and our experiences. That is exactly what we have to draw from to create the character in its most authentic way. Because if we're going to manufacture it and it isn't from something we recognize or know, then it, the audience is going to really read that artifice, you know, and that's the thing we don't want. So I think there's a piece of us in everybody we play, you know, mm -hmm. you, that's where you kind of have to find that continuity, you know, and so for good or bad. And, and, and I know what Gladys is saying, not wanting to have uh, Gladys be the first thing you see when you go and see Francis, which I, I don't think was, but at the same time, it, you know, there's certain things about us, our isms that we have to remove to get the character to come forward. And, um, and, but I think ultimately we're still going to have those things about us that we take from our own life that are what's motivating that character because we recognize we're all people. Mm -hmm. I will, I will say that the director has spoken. <laughs> and and do you have these type of interchanges when you're practicing where you you really say you know glad to say i really want to portray it this way and and danielle saying no 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 <laughs> but liz do you have to be the, the moderator or the mediator or do you just say hey let it let them have at it you know no it, it, we go through the in fact uh wasn't too long ago that gladys said this needs to be videotaped our process how we sit there and talk uh, how we decide there's some things like Daniel said, uh, I may want a story told really, really bad. Mm -hmm. And Daniel go, that's not going to work. That's not going to fit. Or Gladys would go with this little section. I want this said, I want it in there. And Daniel would say, that's not going to work. So those interchanges, how we, we, we come together and just on any of our, our work, um, and, and maybe one day that's something we'll do. Just videotape our process as and we're sitting there. I and do say yes once in a while, Clarence. I want you to know. I mean, I don't just say, no, it's not going to work. I do say yeah. yes, yes, it works. <laughs> <laughs> and also sometimes in all, in, all, in all honesty and fairness to the person portraying the role, sometimes, uh, and I have said to Danielle, let me show you something. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me show you something. This is this is the, what I'm seeing. This is what I'm feeling. And I will try it on to see if it will work. And sometimes you try it on and it works. And sometimes you try it on and it doesn't work. But that's the nature of the beast. Mm -hmm. But it's also the beauty of being able to write your own pieces because you can start to craft them in a way that plays to your strengths or, and you know who you're writing for. That's the, that's the genius I think of Gladys as with the pen, you know, as she can say, okay, I can shape this this way because mm -hmm. this is what we do best over here and then not write something that can't, a part we can't cast, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? That would be, that seems ridiculous and, and just you know, un undercutting everything we would want to be doing. And so it, it is nice to have that kind of autonomy and, and do that, you know, mm. like yeah, it makes yeah. stronger pieces. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and right now, Glad uh, uh, Clarence, it seems to me, people are hungry for what we're doing, what we're right, telling. Right. We have sold out audiences oh, and everything because people want to know and no one else is telling what we're telling. 
right. doing what we're doing. You know, I've, I've, um, I've seen a lot of stage productions, local, theatrical. Uh, I, our good friend, Dr. Vernon Williams, or Vernon Williams up in Indianapolis, uh, he is very active in just that production piece. Uh, the company, I forget the name, it escapes me. Danielle, you know what it is. Onyx. I was on the board. Onyx. Onyx. Uh, and the energy that they pour in there. But one thing that Vernon will do, he will repeatedly incorporate the same actors and actresses in each production. Now, do you find yourself doing that or do you seek out new raw talent or new experienced talent? We're always seeking out talent, but I will say that you have to really work with the, the pool of talent you have in front of you if you want to work and not and not uh, import people from other cities. Because one of our big what, part of our mission, it's a subset, but it's part of it, is to work with people who are right in front of us, who are right in our backyard. Yeah. You know, we don't want to have to bring in people from other cities. And so we do try to do that. But sometimes it doesn't always work that way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but still as local as we can get, you know, and so. Yes, but you wind up working with a company of actors, people that you start to feel very comfortable with, that you know their their commitment, you know their work ethic, you know their talent, and it makes it a lot easier. There's just you just have more points of reference, and you kind of have a shorthand after a certain point. But it's mm-hmm. also nice to have an invigorating new person come in too. You know, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you inject a lot of humor uh, for just sort of um, oh? A moment of pause because maybe maybe the content the content's getting a little heavy and you need to inject mm-hmm. a little humor Not sure just to humor. release uh <laughs> maybe a little levity yeah a little levity yeah. lightens the load <laughs> just a little yeah uh but you got to stay true to what to what you're t- and some of these stories i mean individuals are and partly i think the name resilience these are resilient people that you're portraying and against incredible odds uh, they forge out of life. They benefit society. They escape oppression. Uh, they're inventors, the unsung heroes that we don't get taught about. And we thank you all for for what you do. Um, what are you currently working on? What, what's new on the horizon for uh, Resilience Productions? Um, on June 10th at the Backspace Gallery at the back of Bonfet is going to be Songs of a Caged Bird. And Mm. it is actually a, it's a bit like an addendum to when we did Sentences from the Pen to the Page um, in 2019 at the Rose Fire Bay. This is in very much in the same vein. We're doing, um, it's a night, an evening of poetry that will be read and presented by five different performers, local performers, sorry, four different local performers. And then one gentleman who is actually um, the brother to a guy who is uh, was on death row and is no longer um, on death row. His sentence was commuted. And they're, so they're all the poetries by all, all three are incarcerated. One is presently on death row. The other was, but is no longer. And then the, the last gentleman is, um, I think he might even be getting out soon, but he's in, in prison also. And so this is over many years of them writing and, and it's really some incredible poetry. There's also an art show that goes with it. One of the, the guys is an incredible visual artist. And so there'll be an art experience around you. And the evening will be, you know, hearing the voice, like listening to the voices that no one can hear, you know, and that's kind of the idea. And are, Will there yeah. be women, women portrayals or are they all men? Oh, no, there's going to be two women and um, three men. Yeah. And so uh, Bill Breeden is one of the readers, Ken Farrell. Yes. Nicole Bruce and um, Kate Braun. 
Right. And then, um, and then one of the guys, like I said, his, it's his brother, one of the poet's brothers. And so it's, he's going to read all of his pieces, which is really nice. Uh, Daniel, can you tell our listeners, audience, how they can come see this, how, where they get tickets and mm-hmm. times and. It is actually a free event that is going to be, um, you know, with suggested donations. That's what we thought would be best because it's really to raise awareness. And there's, um, it's through the UU uh, Hope for Prisoners Task Force. And that's one of the things we really want to do. There'll be a table set aside that'll have information if you want to join, if you're interested in becoming a part of this to abolish the death penalty and just how you can become active with some of these uh, social justice issues. And so that's one of the reasons why, but it'll be at... Um, June 10th, it's a, the whole evening is from six to nine, but the performance is at seven and it's at um, the Backspace Gallery at um, the back of Bonfet, which is on the north side of the square where the old music place used to be. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. And it's so the whole evening is from six to nine, but the performance is from seven to probably eight, seven to eight. You know, I, I can't count how many times I've seen the word free in your advertisements. Yeah, <laughs> and I and I shake my head because I'm thinking, oh wait a minute, now I, you know the time, effort, travel, costume design. Free doesn't it, mean people don't get paid; they just means we don't charge an audience. You know what I mean? Again, <laughs> I go I go back to my statement again. I see free, and um, do you have private benefactors, or are there invitations you send out to folk, maybe through Go GoFundMe or? No, actually, it's from grants. This one was from a grant. Okay, okay. So that was, okay. they, they actually came to us, again, like the Alaska Project. It, it, it's a, a bit of a commission, but more of a collaboration commission kind of thing. Right. Like, you know, that was the idea. And since it was the Hope for Prisoners Task Force, um, UU's very involved, which is great because we always work with UU anyway. And um, and it's it was really, it's wonderful. But yes, I mean, I think when you're, when the, when you're trying to raise awareness, you've got to be careful because you would love to have people make donations. Everybody they can put as much money as they want in that, in that tin. But I mean, the thing is that it's more about getting people in the door so they can learn mm-hmm. about this. That's the mm-hmm. biggest thing. And you, when you mm-hmm. have that as the goal, it changes kind of your motivation for selling tickets. I think. Sure. You have partnered quite a bit with the Unitarian Universalist church. I mean, do you have other partners out there? Um, we talked about one, I guess through Onyx. I mean, there've been some collaborations, but local, um, is this a time that you could say, Hey, I just, if I have my opportunity, I just want to give a shout out to these following entities. Thank you for all you've done. Do they come to mind? Uh, and for fear of omitting one, if, if, if you want to wait for a while to think about it, that's fine. I'll come back, but we know how organ sponsoring organizations can be. Oh, they didn't mention us, but you know, it's just that <laughs> we're human. We may forget, but again, I go back to all the financial effort it takes, even with grants. Uh, they're still, their bills, their costs. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I, and I applaud your resilience in that area. But uh, if, if there's a way to, for our listening audience to support what you do, is there a site they can visit? No, is, there an a, is there an address they could send support to? Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I just want to yeah. give you that platform. Gladys, go ahead, take it away. Yeah, Gladys. I, they could certainly visit our website, and also send contributions to uh, Resilience Production. Uh, all of our funds go through the Unitarian Universalist Church. Mm-hmm. We act under the umbrella of the Racial Justice Task Force. 
at the universe at the Unitarian Universalist Church because we needed a five hundred one um, C yeah, C. yeah mm-hmm. organization, mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, we partnered with the Unitarian Church, their Racial Justice Task Force. So all of the funds that uh, that are designated for resilience. Uh, goes through the Unitarian Universalist Church, and they are put into the resilience um, uh, productions. It's sort of like a ledger. I see. I see. If you go on the website to resilienceproductions.org, you can um, you can email us, and we can talk to you about how if you if you're interested in being a benefactor or, or people want to connect and be supportive that way financially, then there's ways to get that money to the right places, and that's really great. Or if you just want to be supportive and in kind kinds of things, we 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 are very blessed to have a community that is so invested in us, and so yeah, just on a and lot we've of had several. We've had several people send contributions, just, you know, write a check to Resilience Production. And and, and that's uh, uh, that happens. That happens quite frequently. Just want to make a $50 contribution. I in fact, I I spoke at a um, at a book club uh, a, a couple of weeks ago and they made their contribution to Resilience Production. So that happens frequently. Excellent. Excellent. On that note, I just want to, again, take a moment to give an idea. If you've just tuned in to bring it on, we are hosting a master's class with the Sisters of Resilience, uh, the resilience production team comprised of Dr. Gladys Devane, Daniel Bruce, and Liz Mitchell. They are talking about their latest production, which premiered both on Friday, May 19th and Saturday, May 20th. It was entitled Laska's Legacy, His Life, His Art. Uh, and if you tune in and bring it on on May 15th, uh, we re-aired a special broadcast featuring Dr. Gladys Devane uh, talking about Come Sit With Me. It was life and poetry, prose and plays. We aired that on May 15th. So if you happen to miss it, go back to our archives and you can listen to that again May 15th with Dr. Gladys Devane. I, um, <laughs> I, I want to just talk a little bit about um, if someone's out there listening and they're just excited, they have three wonderful friends or they have a core group of friends that have been through thick and thin and they just want to get together and create something for the community. What do they do? How do you go about doing this? Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> you mean if people are just, because uh, interestingly you say it that way, we we have become the dearest of friends. But when we started, our, our it's actually what got us together was the purpose was the, the, the show, the theater. Mm-hmm. So I think if these friends have a purpose, then and it'll it'll work itself out. You know what I mean? Okay. And that's kind of mm-hmm. the beautiful part. Um, mm-hmm. I would and think. That, I think, too, um, being passionate. Gladys is passionate about her writings. Mm-hmm. I'm passionate about researching anything with African-American history. I'll go anywhere, do anything to to gain that knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danielle's passion about everything she does for us. I mean, we, we have these distinctive roles, but we overlap. And then we have multiple things that we do. You know, yeah, Danielle's our director. She does the soundboard. She, I mean, there's a lot of little things that go into it. And then we have additional help with Nicole Bruce, 
who does our makeup and props. Uh, you know, and, and of course, we've got Gene Devane and Jim Mitchell. Uh, they're there standing silently, but those two guys are our foundation. So, yeah, so we have we have other folks that kind of help us. And for that very first play, uh, Indiana's Untold Stories, the community of Bloomington, this community we live in, supported us. That's how we were able to put that play on. And when you you ask, Blanche, you ask if you had three people that wanted to do this, what do they do? My first... uh, uh, my response to that would be first ask yourself, what is it you want to do and why do you want to do it? Mm -hmm. Uh, When we sat down as a group, uh, the first thing that we said is we want to produce informative plays. Now I want that person to leave the theater knowing something that he or she did not know when they came to, I want to tell stories that people would not hear unless we tell those stories. So know what it is, at least have an idea of what it is you want to do. And then you develop a frame. Now, how am I going to do this? Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to start off with it carved in stone. You might have to make some adjustments and some revisions, but so you, you need to know what it is you want to accomplish right. before you start. Right, right. Um, looking at your webpage, which was beautifully um, created, I see there were some honors uh, extended to you. Can you talk about some of those milestone moments? Uh, who have you received honors from? As individuals or as well, I saw one with the mayor of Bloomington and with Liz. Um, oh, yeah, were... the Bloom Magazine uh... Diversity Award. Y- yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I was I was going to say I don't remember, but yes, there have been so, <laughs> there have been so many. It, it's just hard to remember all these. Um, and uh, I, you know, it's it's vitally important that our community gets behind and rallies behind its own and celebrates its own. One thing I will say from your website, that's a striking artwork design. Who designed that? Madam they, Danielle. Danielle, you're you're an artist, artiste, huh? I, oh, I, I am an know. artist. I'm actually an artist first, is what's funny. That's what that's that's what I do. But I mean, it, now it's being. I think now it's toe to toe with with being a director. But um, yeah. But so I do all the graphics for our shows, you know. And I did that logo, and and didn't know if it would read. And it kind of stuck. So, <laughs> I, I mean, you look at that, you can see pain, anguish. You can see fear. Can you see the but, state of Indiana? Yeah, you can see the Yes, you can see the state of Indiana. <laughs> um, and you see someone who uh, is resilient. You, you just, there's weathering on their face. Yeah. yeah. And they're, they're being resilient. They're, they're pressing through all types of obstacles and challenges. And we as, as uh, well, I'll tell you, in, in our African-American community, as with other immigrant communities, um, someone told me something one year that just resonated. It said, you know, you're from Hardy Stock. You, your ancestors survived the crossing, whereas many didn't. So when you look at yourself in the mirror, you are one of a number of individuals who are triumphant. 
And I, I sense that in your productions that we are a proud people. Uh, sometimes we can sort of, we need a course correction as a community, uh, but we are a proud people and we are a resilient people. And uh, I just want to personally thank you all. You know, when I bring my daughters to see that, their jaws may open. They may wonder, did that really happen? And then they do the research, um, especially my oldest. She does the research. And uh, she's written papers. Both have written papers and have uh, been awarded for that. But nevertheless, you, you, you sparked something within them, as I hope and I can sense you sparked in the audience members that have watched your productions. Sort of coming to the end of this, and I just want to ask, is there anything that we've not talked about that at this time you want to uh, uh, just share with the audience? Well, we found a, a new quote that I want to say, and because I yeah, absolutely yeah. love it. Um, I, Danielle, did you find this quote? I did. Mm-hmm. I did. I found this quote, and I was when I was reading some stuff, and I just was yeah. blown away by it. And I, yeah, want to, well, I'd like to use it again and again. Yeah. Go ahead. And we are all immortal as long as our stories are told. And hmm. Elizabeth Hunter wrote that, and we Danielle found that, and we go, hmm, we love that. Yeah, and that's the truth. It's really powerful and poetic, and it just re- really resonated with me. And I thought that's exactly what we do. You know, it's mm-hmm. amazing. I mean, you want to talk about a legacy? You know, it's like the idea that everybody has a story too. Everybody's worthy of that. It's just not everybody's fortunate enough to have people who are going to go dig up all that information and put it together on stage for this generation to learn about. You know, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, one last thing, uh, Clarence. Before I know we've got just a couple of minutes. I wanted Gladys, if she would, please, to talk about we each individually, we do things as resilient productions, but we also have individual uh, projects. Gladys has something so interesting. She needs to tell the listening audience about it so that I hope that they could tune in. Gladys, would you tell our listening audience? Yes. A a few months ago, I started a series uh, with uh, Jewel Jordan Publishing Company. Jewel Jordan Publishing Company it published my book, uh, Come Sit With Me. So she had a five, we started a five-part series, Come Sit With Me, Conversations with Dr. Gladys Devane. And every two months, we do uh, a, 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 one of the series. And the one that's coming up, on the 29th of June, I believe, um, is an interview with a black, with an African American writer, Carolyn Holling. And she writes about the spiritual world. And um, uh, her writing, it's, it's a, it's, it's a unique, different kind of writing. Uh, she is a very interesting write, uh, writer. Uh, and she has written this series uh, of books. I've read the first two. Um, Brothers uh, of the Dark Veil. Hmm. Um, and I think it's going to be a really interesting interview because we are talking about the title of this uh, uh, interview is Tell Me a Story. And we are going to talk about the process of developing a story. Uh, and we are going to look at uh, and compare 
what she does when she develops a story to what I do when I develop a story. Our stories are very, very different. Mm -hmm. And when I read her first book, I was amazed. How do you even think of some of this stuff? Where does it come from? And so I think it's going to make for a very interesting conversation. What genre is does she write in, Gladys? I'm sorry? What, what genre is she in? Would um, you say fantasy fiction or? It's, um, it's, a, it's, it's, it's really a mixture. The, the, the mystical, the spiritual world, classic eroticism. Uh, okay, so she's got his like historical period pieces that are, but then they're making yeah, a, a lot about slavery and That's all, true. and it's all intertwined. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that I find really fascinating about her writing is how many different characters that she is taking on this journey at the same time and how she can keep them separated. And how difficult it is sometimes for the reader to keep them separated because she has several stories moving along simultaneously. Um, and, and, and I think it's going to be quite interesting to, listening to her talk about the process. Okay. And um, when you take your superwoman cape off, Danielle, what do you do? Um. <laughs> When I take my superwoman, I never take it off, Clarence. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Our, our, our audience does not know that prior to this interview, you were doing uh, just a superwoman human feet, just kind of doing landscaping at an amazing clip. So, right. um, <laughs> so, so when you do manage, when you have to send the cape to the cleaners, what do you do? Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm a freelance designer and I work with I, people individually. I used to... Um, well, I would just say I'm a freelance designer. That's the best way to put it, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but you're more than a freelance designer. I mean, I'm an artist. Yeah, you talk about the art show that you just came off of a couple of weeks ago. We just did the Bloom Art Show, which was wonderful and had a couple of pieces sell in that show, which was lovely. And um, and it was really wonderful. I, I'm not one for festivals usually, but now I think that that is that was so, they were so ingratiating and everybody was so, it was such a great experience. And actually it was Gladys's love, like lovingly bullying me into doing this. And I was like, and I loved it because I was like, can I do this? Do I really, am I, do I have the mindset for this? And I had such a great day and such a good time and got to meet a bunch of other artists, got to see their work and got really felt a part of that community in Bloomington, which was great. And that was, that was really, really cool. Yeah. And and uh, Liz, aside from globe trotting all over the world and um, uh, run, running my life as uh, assistant producer, bringing on uh, and having the world's largest Jim Crow memorabilia collection, uh, what other things do you do? I'm currently working on uh, finishing up one documentary, and that is about West Baden Colored Church, mm-hmm. starting another documentary called uh, Chasing the Stripe about the first black state troopers, which my husband was one of them. I'm working on a cultural trail for Monroe County, along with Indiana landmarks. They're trying to do that for Indiana Avenue. So that's something that we're doing in collaboration. Um, I've just recently been asked as of last week to help out with an early settlements committee. 
Hmm. And because I have contacts with quite a few of the early settlements like uh, Laos Creek, Lost Creek, Roberts Settlement, uh, Noor Settlement that my family had started on the south side of Indianapolis. So we want to get a, a committee together uh, of the descendants of these settlements because um, like with Lost Creek, there's a fear that uh, big developments want that land. Right. And so we thought, let's join forces. So I'm going to meet with people in uh, Bedford about that soon. I was invited to do a traveling circuit, a speaking circuit throughout Indiana. They want me to bring my collection. I'm thinking about that. Sure, sure. I got to talk that over with my boss. Yeah, well, you know, talk it over with your chauffeur and and your road crew member, and uh, yeah, <laughs> and just give him the schedule. This is where we're going. That's all you have to do. Uh, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> I think it does sometimes, but <laughs> well, on that note, um, our thanks to Resilience Productions. Uh, the team members are Dr. Gladys Devane, Daniel Bruce, and Liz Mitchell. Thank you for joining us this evening to discuss your latest production, which premiered on Friday, May nineteenth, and Saturday, May twentieth entitled Laska's Legacy, His Life, His Art. Also, we thank them for their discussion on the genesis of the award-winning theatrical company, Resilience Productions. Bring It On has an open mission policy. So if you have an idea for this program, let's hear it. Send an email to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share everything and anything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address, once again, is bringiton at wfhb.org. Bringiton's executive producer is yours truly, Clarence Boone. Our assistant producer is Liz Mitchell. Show consultant and WFHB News Department Director is Kate Young. Uh, program engineer Chantal LaFontaine. Original theme music was created by Jamil FM with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm Clarence Boone. And I'm Liz Mitchell. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.